Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Long time no see. Maybe it's not day where you are. Maybe it's evening. Good eye. Good evening. Whatever. Anyway, so I want to talk quickly about a tweet from Taylor Marshall, which I thought was masterful. And I'm not saying that uh, just because he's a friend of mine. It was really good. And it's about Pope's planers. And there's a lot of truth to it. You know, Twitter's a funny place. I guess it's called X now. On the one hand, it's a complete dumpster fire and a waste of everybody's time. But on the other hand, it's kind of awesome. That's like most things in social media, isn't it? It has the potential to damn your soul or to help you somehow convert to the Catholic faith. There's almost no in between. (laughs) In any case, I want to go through this tweet and I want to comment on it. He did do a show uh, where he did talk about this. You can check that out. It's his most recent podcast. Well, whenever you're listening to this, it's uh, it may not be his most recent one. Um, I believe it's called Bishop Strickland Goes to Bishop's Conference, something like that. And um, in any case, he goes through what the characteristics of a Pope-splainer is or what the characteristics are of a Pope-splainer. That's better grammar. If you don't know what a Pope-splainer is, let me explain it to you. He's someone who splains for the Pope. What does that mean? Well, he basically does cover for the Pope. Now, we are Roman Catholics. We believe in the papacy. I will defend the papacy as much as anyone. But there is a difference between defending the papacy as an institution and the current reigning pontiff. It may be that the current reigning Roman pontiff does good things. It may be that he does bad things. If he does good things, I'll praise him for it. If he does bad things, I probably won't talk about it because let's be honest, he does bad things all the, all the bloody time. And I actually don't talk about it that much on my channel. And I don't really talk about it that much in my personal life because I don't really care a lot of the time. I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that Pope Francis is not going to go down in history as Pope St. Francis the Great, although they'll probably call him that in the sort of Novus Ordo Ordo canonization world. Um, However, uh, I guess, or I should say, as a result, I basically just sort of don't give it that much thought. I hope you're enjoying the show. I really do. If you do want to help support me continue these endeavors, thank you to all those who have so far. There are two ways to do that. The first is to sign up for YouTube memberships, which you can easily do uh, through the YouTube platform. It's pretty simple. The second way to do it is to click the link in the description area of this recording, this podcast, this video, and sign up for my Substack. Even if you're someone who isn't really into reading articles, don't worry. The premium articles that I will post there on the Substack will be narrated. So you get your money's worth in that sense. Also, Substack is a platform that doesn't censor conservatives. It doesn't kick people off like Patreon, which is why I'm trying to migrate over there. And uh, it's a really great platform, and I think it's a good place to be. And all the content that I will have here, I will be putting up on the Substack as well um, in some way, or at least or at least notifying you of it there. It gets you on an email list. You know what's going on. And it's a way to support me without having to give money to a woke woke corporation, which I think we can all get on board with. Okay, enough of that. Back to the show. But it does drive me crazy, these folks that are basically gaslighters doing this Pope-splaining, you know, going, doing, giving cover to um, 
you know, everything the Pope does. You know, for example, when Pope Francis will say things like, don't convert people to Catholicism, they'll say, well, you don't understand Italian. This is what he meant using the Italian word in his mind. And the word is proselytize. And the word proselytize means to convert. Uh, they'll say, no, 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 no. It doesn't mean that. It means to convert by force. It's like, well, no, it actually just means to convert by argument. That's what the word means. Uh, to convert by force would be called forcing conversions. Pope Francis didn't say that. Well, you, don't, you just don't understand the Italian. You just don't understand the nuance of the Italian. Ma davvero, parlo italiano tanto, molto più bene che te, e ho vissuto in Italia. That's, I'll translate that in real time. And my grammar might not have been perfect there. Scusatemi, paisani. Um, I lived in Italy and I speak Italian much better than you. So yes, I do understand what Pope Francis said. It's actually kind of my thing. Anyway, I also speak Spanish. And I did my uh, my final thesis statement thing in my, I guess it's not a thesis in an under, undergrad, whatever it was. I did my final thing on Argentinian Spanish Catholic hybrid. So I guess I can understand Pope Francis better than most. In any case, these men are gaslighters. You know, they'll tell you you don't understand Pope Francis's words when his words are just words and you understand words as much as they do. In addition, one of the things that these Pope Splainers do, it's hard to explain, but here's kind of what it is. When you will criticize something the Pope has done, what they do is they jump to a defense of the indefectibility of the church. What does that mean? You'll say, it was a really bad thing Pope Francis brought the Pachamama into St. Peter's. They'll say, uh, you're a schismatic because Christ told us the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, you are a heretic because Vatican I said the Pope had universal jurisdiction. They jump to these non sequiturs. And yes, I agree. Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't believe Pope Francis has promulgated officially a heresy. I do think he has uttered things that are heretical, uh, or at least error. You can make those distinctions. Uh, just like uh, Pope John XXII uttered things that were grave errors, and many did call them heresies at the time, even though those things weren't defined as heresies in the official sense until later on. Another thing these Pope's planners well, I, so I should sort of summarize that. What does that mean? That means you're saying it's a bad thing for Pope Francis to say you can baptize, you know, uh, godparents, godfathers in miniskirts who have had tranny surgery. That's not a good look. There's many reasons why that's actually might be heretical, although there is a way to see that it's not. And I've talked about this in a lengthy video. You can check that out on my channel. Um, I'm just speaking in a very technical sense here. And they'll say, again, you're a schismatic because you're jumping to this conclusion that the Pope is a formal heretic. No, I'm not. I'm saying the Pope okayed something from the diacastry for the doctrine of the faith that definitely could be interpreted as heresy, and that's a grave scandal to the church. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying anything else. I'm, not, I'm saying no more, no less. I'm saying it's really bad what he did. I'm not saying the gates of hell prevailed. And this is what these Pope's planners do. So these people that follow these Pope's planners they are under the impression that people like myself and Marshall and others, they're under the impression that we don't believe in the infallible dogmas of the Catholic faith because of the way we're presented by these Pope's pointers. When in fact, 
We believe the infallible dogmas of the faith, which is why we call it what it is and no more and no less. Anyway, those are Pope's planners and they're annoying. And a lot of the time, these men, they're not formal heretics, but they are neo-modernists and they are adjacent to suggestions of heresy. And we're going to maybe think about that as we go. So what are the things that Pope Francis said, or Pope Francis, goodness, what are the things that Taylor Marshall said? Well, here's what he tweeted. He said, people championing Pope Francis as a great Pope tend to have one or more of the following six traits. And this, this tweet was wild. And what I mean by that is Taylor went there and I'm really glad he did. Number one, irregular marriages or history of irregular marriages with doubts about the ideal of traditional marriage for the modern world. Let's go with that one. Exactly. Take a look at Catholic Inc. as I call it. These are the mainstream. Catholic Inc. is not an actual entity, by the way. Some people in the comments said I couldn't find Catholic Inc. There's a term from the evangelicals. If you, I'm not a convert, but I, there's this one pastor that I wish he'd become Catholic because he's great on social issues. His name is Pastor Doug Wilson. He is a, uh, Presbyterian, I think. He's obviously wrong about religion in many ways. However, he's got that sort of C.S. Lewis thing going on, meaning he's just really smart and he knows the Bible really well and he's very logical. So he's got lots of great things to say, even though his theology is off when push comes to shove. Anyway, I quite like him as an intellectual, let's put it that way. So I do listen to some of his videos on various social issues in society. But he talks about Big Eva. What is Big Eva? Well, if you're a former evangelical, you probably know what this is. If you're not, Big Eva is Big Evangelical. This means the mainstream publishers, I don't know what the networks and things like that are called. I know one of the book companies is called Crossway. You know, those bestsellers of all those big pastors and things like that. They got to play along, play along to get along. And Doug Wilson you know, he sort of leads this, what you might call like the traditionalist movement within Protestantism, if that makes sense. And he has his own publishers, Canon Press, I think it's called. And he calls out Big Eva all the time. You know, basically, you just, you won't go certain places if you want to be part of Big Eva. There's an equivalent of, of that in, in Catholicism. And I call it Catholic Inc. Big Catholic didn't sound too good, in my opinion. So I call it Catholic Inc. And... So think about the mainstream organizational structures of what I'm describing now as Catholic Inc., you know, Catholicism's Big Eva. And then just do a survey. Look around and say, how many divorces and remarriages are there? You'll find way more than you'd expect. And that's a really big problem. And here's the reason why. Traditionally speaking, annulments were almost impossible. What I mean by that? The stipulations for an actual annulment were very, very strict. Uh, I talk about this in my book, SSPX, The Defense. You can find that book, the link for that book in the description for this podcast, the description video, sorry, the description box, wherever it is, in the notes. And one of the crises that we saw in the church, and we still do, is the annulment crisis. And Father Gerald Murray, who is not a traditionalist, he's very conservative and he's very friendly to tradition, but he's, he says the Novus Ordo, I believe. Maybe he doesn't anymore, but it's not like he's from some traditional order. I, I really don't know, but that's my, uh, my, my, uh, my, uh, my uh, assumption. 
And he is a great canon lawyer. And I, I cite him in the book and he talks about how when he was on the tribunal for annulments in the diocese of New York City, one of the biggest dioceses in the world with millions of Catholics, he said that if you filled out the paperwork for an annulment, you were granted the annulment. This is the case all over the world and has been for a long time. If you look before the council, there was like 300 annulments a year in the United States. They were very rare. Very, and annulments are real. They can happen. Um, and an annulment, if you're not sure, is not saying your marriage is no longer valid. It's for some reason that is a reason for an annulment, which is another issue for another day. But for one of those reasons, your marriage never happened. Okay. Um, and then there's like 30,000 a year after that. So it doesn't, <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, what, what all of a sudden people just, you know, figured out that they were never really married. It's like, no, the process became weak at a certain point in the seventies and eighties and people just got annulments when they shouldn't have, which means that there are people out there, many, many hundreds of thousands of Catholics, probably maybe, I mean, maybe millions, but hundreds of thousands of Catholics, in the United States alone, just ballparking numbers based on the numbers of annulments, right? Who are living, objectively speaking, in adultery and they're fornicating with someone who's not their spouse. That's the, that's the actual truth, objectively, whether the person will be held accountable subjectively. I have no idea. Pray for them. You could say ignorance. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'm just saying, objectively speaking, if so-and-so married so-and-so and 20 years later, they get an annulment because of this or reason or that reason. If it's not a real annulment, meaning there really was a valid marriage, which can never be undone. Now there is some sort of Petrine privilege. Uh, I think it stems back to the power Moses had or something like that anyway, but that's, that that's granted to like kings and queens or something like that at some point. But the point is you can't have your marriage undone. Okay. So in any case, that means people living in second marriages in the civil sense, first marriages in the opinion of the church or in the opinion of the tribunals, these people are living in states of adultery, even if they don't believe it. Now there's two, there's two major problems with this. One, what do you think these people, these Pope-splainers who often live in these irregular marriages, what do you think that they're going to think about traditional Catholicism? People like me saying things like that, right? I'm basically attacking their marriage. I mean, they got divorced. They, legally speaking, they got divorced. They've put their children through trauma. They've shacked up with a new woman. Uh, they've changed their lives. They've paid their child support, whatever. They've gone through that awful reality of divorce. And now they believe they found happiness and it's hunky-dory in the eyes of God. And here is the curmudgeon traditionalists saying they're actually adulterers and fornicators. Objectively speaking, that's probably not going to feel too good. I get it. I get it. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just saying that is objectively the case if the marriage is still valid and they're in a new marriage. Okay. So that's going to have a big ouchy effect on the minds of a Pope's planner. I mean, people are, they're human beings. They're human beings. So they're going to want to defend Pope Francis. Why? Because Pope Francis has made it clear through his footnotes in Amoris Laetitia that there's a little wiggle room for the, the divorced and remarried to attend the sacraments. So you got yourself covered if you're a Pope's planner living in a second marriage. Why? Because if you even say to yourself, well... It may be the case that the traditionalist might have a point about an annulment, but I am already shacked up with my second wife and we've got a house together 
and I've already been through a divorce. So if there is a little bit of doubt, Amoris Letizia has got me covered and I'm good to go. I mean, there's no way out of that. And then the last thing that's important is if somebody is objectively in a state of mortal sin, even if subjectively they have some sort of, of, you know, they're not culpable somehow. I'm not really sure how to express this perfectly. So please, I'm just spitballing here, trying to understand the theological reality of how you would receive the graces from the sacraments. But I don't think you can receive those graces from the sacraments. Well, first of all, there's no sacrament. There's no sacramental grace for that marriage because it's not a marriage, that second marriage. And secondly, if you're objectively in a state of adultery, you're objectively in a state of mortal sin, even if subjectively you're culpable, whatever. I've already gone over this because of ignorance or whatever. I don't really know how you're going to get any graces from those sacraments. I'm just putting that out there. And if you are living in a state of sin, sin darkens the intellect. Well, you're going to start doing stupid things like doing Pope's planning. Next point he made. Same-sex attraction or child struggling with it, uh, but who don't want to restrict sex to traditional matrimony. I haven't seen this in the apologetical Pope's planners, Pope, uh, uh, the Pope's planners. Taylor says that this is the folks he's met personally in his life. Uh, I don't doubt it. I guess you could say probably this happens in the hierarchy. There's a lot of priests and cardinals and bishops who give off the Yorkshire Terrier, you know, Apple teeny vibe. And uh, they tend to do this whole marriage apologetic for gay blessings and things. And they'd love to say everything Pope Francis did is good. Although I haven't seen this in apologetics per se. So I, I can't say. Number three, this to me is the most important. Ministries, is number three, ministries, speakers, or schools financially dependent on bishops. That is the kicker. That is the kicker. Ministries, speakers, or schools financially dependent on bishops. So, if you have an organization that is called Catholic or has Catholic in the name, uh, you have to have the bishops, well, you don't have to, for it to function as something that's recognized by the local diocese and to call it a Catholic institution that is, again, something the bishop says, yes, this is something that is Catholic for the formation or for the whatever of Catholics in our diocese. To do that, you have to have the approval of the bishop. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Historically, that's a very good thing. It's like imprimaturs and nihil obstats are good things. You know, this approval on books, that's a good thing. These, this is a response to a, largely the Protestant Reformation, things like that. Um, this is also the development of things like faculties. There have always been some sorts of faculties, but faculties as we understand them today were largely developed um, so that priests going around in the middle or the the Protestant revolt era, because remember that many of the Protestants were still sort of like priests, even though they were heretics. Um, if they had faculties, sort of a identification that they were actually a priest from a, per, a particular bishop, then the faithful could have clarity on the sacraments. So these are good things. But the church is crazy right now. And the bishops and the pope, many of the bishops, not all, but many, most, 99%, are at least adjacent to heretical toleration, let's say. Um, 
you know, even, you know, a guy like Bishop Barron, Bishop Barron obviously has done some really great stuff, but I, he wrote like a, a foreword or an endorsement of one of Father James Martin's books. It's like, that's the world we're in, where this man who's like this big conservative, you know, he's with Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, and he's on the Daily Wire, and he's with, you know, the the who's who of the conservative clergy, and look at him, isn't he great? And he's really smart, and he is really smart, and this is a man who has no problem cozying up to James Martin. That's where we're at. That's, you know, those are our heroes, cozying up to James Martin. So, I mean, does it mean anything today? if the word Catholic is on an organization's name officially in a diocese? I mean, really? It's crazy. You know, the word Catholic is on the schools in, in, in Ontario. And they're flying pride flags. They have the bishop's recognition and approval, but they're an abomination. So, anyway. But if you want to masquerade as a Catholic organization, oh, no, I shouldn't say masquerade. Many of these places have good intentions and they are generally speaking orthodox. But if you want to have one of these organizations and call yourself Catholic University of X or Catholic apologetic outlet of Y or, you know, you know, Catholic, uh, you know, Catholic Youth Ministries International or whatever. If you want to do something like that and you're dependent on the bishop's approval, when push comes to shove and you're asked about good old Papa Francisco, what do you think you're going to say? What do you think you're going to say? Well, you're going to do some intellectual backflips to not lose funding. Because guess what? You have a degree in theology. You have a PhD from Catholic blah, blah, blah university. What else are you going to do? I'm just being honest. Like, what else are you going to do? You move your family. You started your YouTube channel. You got your job on the radio show. You, you know, you've outed yourself as this staunch conservative, et cetera, et cetera. What are you going to do? You're just going to change careers? No, you're going to do what most people do at jobs where they don't agree with something. You're going to swallow it. That's what most people do. And if you're a Pope Splainer, or if you're an apologist, and the organization is needing the name Catholic from the bishop's approval to operate, which is part of, you know, whatever, all the funding and that sort of thing, then when push comes to shove, you're going to say Pope Francis speaks Italian in a way that only I understand, because that's why I'm an expert, and that's why you're a schismatic. You see? There's more we could be that we could say about that, but I think that you get it. The financial side is probably the most important. Okay, the next two we're not going to talk about too much, the next two points, because personally, I haven't seen that within the world of, let's say, conservative Pope's planners. I'm sure the people at National Catholic Reporter, places like that who are just liberals, these would probably apply, but they don't bother me because they're just heretics to begin with. So, Number four and five, the first one is syncretism, mixing Catholicism with indigenous religions, like the Pachamama. Actually, that does apply a little bit. Number five, financial or political interest in climate change or pharmaceuticals. So, mixing Catholicism with indigenous religions like Pachamama. Here's the thing. These conservative Pope's planners, and these men love to say they're the real conservatives, they're the real traditionalists, and blah, 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 um... On the one hand, they'll say, look at this Council of the Church from the 1500s or 
Actually, many of them don't go that far. They might, you know, they might appeal to the early church fathers, let's say. And they'll appeal to John Paul II or something like that. And they would say idolatry is a sin, etc., etc. So they just explain away the Pachamama. So are they syncretists? The liberals, for sure. Are these ones syncretists, like these conservative types? They're not really syncretists. What they do is they explain away syncretism. It's still syncretism, but they explain it away with their stupid little mental gymnastics. Um, you know, they'll say things like, it's really the Virgin Mary. No, it's not. It's the Pachamama. And Pope Francis said it was the Pachamama. And Pachamama's a thing from South America. You can look it up. There's even a Wikipedia entry on it. And there's also a uh, Pachacapa, which is like Pachapapa, which is the other god, the demon. There's two demons. And they, it's like basically like a story like you find in Hindu god stuff. And it's total demon worship. That's what Pachamama is. It's admitted by the Pope that it was Pachamama. And Pachamama is a real thing. Pachamama is not a term that's used for the Virgin Mary. It's a term that's used for Pachamama. So these post-splainer types try to explain it away. They're also kind of liars. Anyway, um, financial or political interest in climate change or pharmaceuticals. Admittedly, a lot of these guys, these conservative types, are usually politically conservative, and they're not really huge fans of climate change or pharmaceuticals, so to speak. Anyway, number six, denial. Okay, this is big, big one, the last one. And then I'll give a couple of my own. Denial of all damnation or the Balthazarian hope that all or nearly all will go to heaven. So dare we hope they all be saved. Well, again, you see this when you read between the lines. Ask a Pope Splainer on one of these podcasts, one of these outlets, whatever. Ask if he believes there's no salvation outside the church. And then look at how he answers you. He'll give you a yes, but or sorry, no salvation, no, but, or sorry, if you're asking if he believes it, he would say, yes, I apologize. <laughs> he would say, yes, that's the teaching, but, or, well, it's more complicated than that. So, or I do, I do believe that, but you know, that's the kind of answer or something like, well, we're bound by the sacraments, but God is not bound by the sacraments, that sort of thing. And that's true. God is not bound by the sacraments in the sense that you know, it's, I don't know, intrinsic to his nature or something like that. I, I'm getting in the weeds here. But but the people who are under God are bound by the sacraments, so it doesn't really matter if God's bound to them or not. If he chooses to act in an extraordinary way, we're still bound to the sacraments. So normally speaking, no salvation outside the church. Now, there are exceptions or, well, there's, there are no exceptions. I should rephrase that. There are no exceptions. No one is saved outside the church. What I should say is there are exceptionalities that have been seen in church history like martyrs of desire. You know, they didn't ever officially join the church, but they desired with all their heart to and were killed as a martyr, as a catechumen and things like that. I mean, those things have happened, sure, uh, but they're still in the church. It's just not in a way that is the normal means of operating. So, yes, and, and what does it mean for Protestants? Well, the church talks about invincible ignorance, but invincible ignorance is not a sacrament. So, how a Protestant of goodwill who knows nothing about Catholicism versus Protestantism, blah, 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 how that person is saved if they are and as an individual and somehow mystically join the church. I pray that they do, and I pray that many of them do. I pray that I don't want anyone to go to hell. But nonetheless, there is no salvation outside the church because anyone who is saved is in the church. It's actually a very easy thing. No salvation outside the church. 
it's one of the easiest doc- doctrines ever because even if you do the exceptionality thing, that person is still in the church somehow in a mystical way. So, but as far as damnation is concerned, listen, just think about the fact that there's no salvation outside the church. Think how many people are on earth. Even if you accounted for, in some miraculous way, every single Christian, let's just say every Christian, including Protestants, there's like two and a half, three billion or whatever on earth. Let's just say every Christian was saved. Okay, well, there's still five billion non-Christians on earth. Let's just say 10% of that five billion are the exceptionalities who somehow are baptized by desire or from martyrdom or something like that. Well, you're still having over half of the world is going to hell. Like that's just a reality. So this idea that it's, it's, it's mathematically stupid to think that most people are saved. It doesn't make any sense at all. It makes no sense at all. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> people will talk about St. Augustine's view. They call it the massa damnata. You know, the mass of people are damned as if it's some sort of idea he had. It's not even really an idea. It's just a recognition of math. So the Pope's planers, you know, they cling to this very Balthazarian thing of, well, you never know. And I, I don't know exactly why, but I'm going to opine a couple reasons why that are kind of related and are also at the same time characteristics. Number one, okay, more often than not, more often than not, Pope's planers are converts. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a convert. My friend Taylor Marshall, who's clearly not a Pope's planner, is a convert. Uh, St. John Henry Newman was a convert. You know, many, many great Catholics have been converts. But I would say there are psychologically two ways converts can go. And I'm just simplifying here, but let's just work with this. On the one hand, a convert can have great zeal. Now, they all have zeal, but they can have great zeal and a sense of compunction. What is compunction? I hope I'm saying that right. This is the virtue of not regret, but a deepening, let's say, recognition or interior sadness of the weight of your sins. And in turn, sort of a gratitude for repentance and penance. So you've been to confession to confess your sins of your past life or whatever. And 20 years later, you still think about them sometimes. And the funny thing is, is as you age and the further you get away from them and the more you grow in holiness, you actually feel worse about them. It's a funny thing. It's not a self-deprecating thing. It's not a, it's not a woe is me. I don't believe I'm saved kind of thing. I don't believe I'm forgiven kind of thing. It's you come to know God more. So you come to hate sin more and you come to hate your sins more. There's something like that. So when that sort of thing arises, it's difficult to deal with. It's very difficult to deal with. It is a spiritual stumbling block for a lot of people. So in the case of a convert, if a man was a pastor, if a man was an apologist for Protestantism, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of souls that he led to hell, technically speaking. Obviously, all individuals are individuals who make their own choices, but that's a line of thought that's going to cross your mind. Or, you know, lots of family members that are going to go to hell, normally speaking. 
Obviously, again, we pray for all souls, etc. But normally speaking. So what are you going to do with that? I don't know. You can be like Taylor Marshall and be a man about it. And just say, yeah, there's no salvation outside the church. You're damned if you don't sort your stuff out. One mortal sin unconfessed on your soul. It's game over. So his response, Taylor's MO, which is the one I appreciate the most, is so get to being Catholic. And that's how he lives his life. Taylor is without fear. He's going to talk to Glenn Beck. He, you know, put that put that man in front of Ben Shapiro. You know, Taylor's going to tell everybody how it is. And he, and he practices what he preaches. I know him. I know him well. And he practices what he preaches. Taylor's a gunslinger from Texas. And he's going to tell you, extra ecclesium nulla salus, there's no salvation inside the church. Sort your stuff out before you die because hellfire is hot. It's a real thing. But that's not the approach the Pope's planners take, is it? It's just not. And again, being a convert can be a great thing. Being a convert can be a great thing for zeal. But if there are attachments, that's one of the reasons why I think, subjectively speaking, they do a lot of apologetics for them. Maybe, you know, the health thing isn't what we thought it was. You know, that sort of stuff. And you'll also find... You'll find in these Pope's Planner types too, as a related thing, you'll find them... Well, they're neo-modernists, right? You'll find them explaining away the supernatural. Now, they don't explain away the supernatural in the sense of denying that there is the supernatural. They don't go full modernist. They're neo-modernists. So they'll do things, well, they always explain away evolution. They're always evolutionists, which is, is a ridiculous philosophy. They're always evolutionists. And then they'll do things like, well, you know, there's no actual fires in hell, you know. The most, the most, the saddest part about hell is that there's no God there. It's not actually fire. Now, is that true? Well, I mean, is there physical fire? I mean, there could be. I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't think it's a dogma of the faith to believe that there's physical fire like the kind that you use to roast marshmallows in hell. But it has been the wisdom of the church throughout the ages that we talk about the fires of hell. The saints have seen this, the mystics have seen this, the theologians, the bishops, the popes, etc. They've talked about this hell that is full of pain and torment and fire. This is a thing. So although someone isn't a heretic in the official sense, if they're saying, well, it's not real fire, what are they doing? It's still part of the hell's not so bad. Maybe you don't even go there. That's the mentality. Is there anything else that I want to talk about? Last thing I'll say, the Pope's planners also, just generally speaking, come off as very beta. I don't know how to explain it. I think about the men that are traditionalists, the Michael Matts, the Taylor Marshalls, you know, Jesse Romero types. I think about these guys and I've met them, and I consider some of them to be friends. 
Eric Sammons. It's not a matter of being like a macho man or it's like, you know, some, some Arnold Schwarzenegger stereotype or something. But there's just something about manliness that I find in these traditional Catholic men. And I just find a cringy effeminacy in the Pope's planers. They talk about video games. They're, yeah, well, the regular, regular marriage thing that is so common. There's just a weakness and a smarminess. And it's too bad. It's too bad. And I just find it to be common. And, you know, I think it makes sense because, you know, if you're going to be a real gunslinging apologist like Taylor Marshall, where you're just going to say it how it is, you're not going to sugarcoat it, you've got to be kind of a rough guy. You've got to have an edge to you. You've got to be someone who's willing to say stuff that might get you punched. But in the new springtime, you know, it's all about pillow fights. I don't know if that makes sense. And I think that's all I have to say about the Pope's planer type. But good job, Taylor. I'm really glad you t did this. Uh, for one, it's... Um, you know, it's given a lot of fodder for doing a podcast here, but it also has to be said. And, you know, excuse me, we have to be okay with calling a spade a spade. We got to be okay with calling a spade a spade. You know, if you look at the past and you look at Catholics in the past, and this is one thing I actually I'll say, Taylor said, oh, this is actually very important. After he gave this list on his podcast, he said, can we just go back to that old timey religion? And he went on about, you know, and just basically said the awesome parts of the Catholic faith that are hardcore and wonderful, you know, no salvation outside the church. Jesus Christ is the savior. You know, the Virgin Mary is your mother. Pray your rosary every day. That's just a basic Catholicism. That's another thing too. You know, if I look at, pull some up here on my computer. If I look at like, you know, these Pope splainer types, and I think about their video titles. You know, I don't find the old timey religion. I don't even really find, like, <coughs> excuse me. I don't even really find comprehensive, methodical catechizing. What I see is just sort of a lot of Catholic apologetical, I don't know, um, let's call them not side issues, but sort of niche topics, you know, like something here about simplicity in Catholicism. If Protestants are asking if there's simplicity in Catholicism or this idea about well, how do demons feel? you know, these kinds of things. And they're granted, there are some, some basic ones, you know, what is mortal sin, that sort of stuff. But it's a lot about, you know, 
Vatican II. Um, it's a lot of it's a lot of like academicy things, if that makes sense. It's a lot of stuff that's just kind of like okay, that's an interesting factoid about Catholicism. That's an interesting, you know, I don't know something that's 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 good to settle some sort of niche theological debate. But if I look at these places, especially these individual apologists, and I look at the stuff that they talk about. I don't see anything about growing in holiness. I mean, I don't see a single thing on any of these guys' channels about growing growing in holiness. I see basically just rehashing these niche theological subjects to just kind of, I don't know. It's just, I don't know how to explain it. It's just strange. So, in any case, there's no old-timey religion it's not even really comprehensive catechesis. And that brings me to my last thing. An apologist isn't even really a thing. I'll explain what I mean by that. Yes, apologetics is a science. And there are various people who are qualified to do this sort of science. But it's not like a sacramental order. How does someone become an apologist? Well, you can basically just will it in the sense of you do enough studying, explaining and things, and you just start to talk about Catholicism and you're just kind of looked to as somebody who can have answers about stuff. And that's great. I mean, there's a need for that. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be doing what I'm saying is a Catholic apologist is just a guy who does a podcast or works for an organization and he basically just gives his understanding of Catholic doctrine in his own words based on the catechism of, of, of John Paul II. That's pretty much what an apologist is today. But I don't see these guys just simply catechizing. I don't see it. I really don't see it. And I'm sure it happens maybe here and there, but I really don't see it. I'm going to go through all these organizations and these and these podcasters and things have they ever said let's go through the catechism of baltimore the baltimore catechism let's go through the catechism of the of pope pius x let's go through the encyclicals of the popes of the 1800s you know that sort of thing they just, they just don't do that sort of thing because it's like a it's like a game to them that's what I, that's the impression I get. It's like, Ooh, how can I, you know, ooh, here's another analogy for why Catholics should pray to the saints. It's, you know, it's like this and that's great. But anyway, there's an inherent sort of rationalism to the world of apologetics and Catholicism today. It's like, you can't see the forest for the trees. You can listen to one of these podcasts or, or, you know, these, these, these shows or whatever for six months at a time. And yes, it's conservative. And I, and I can attest to this because I used to listen to these guys all the time. And then when I discovered like traditional Catholic sermons from just regular traditional Catholic priests, and I'd listen to like 20 minutes at a time, it was like a fire hose of Catholic doctrine that I had never heard. And I was listening to hours of this stuff every week. Anyway, that's all I got for you today, ladies and gentlemen. As always, let me know what you think in the comments, whether that's on 
iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're hearing this, uh, Substack. Shout out to my Substack patrons. Thank you for all your help. And shout out to my patrons on Patreon. And I'm going to be starting YouTube membership soon, so you can help me out there. If you do want to support the show, I think the best way to do it is two ways. One is YouTube memberships, which will be open soon. The other is, it might be open by the time I post this. The other is Substack, and here's why. I don't like Patreon. I don't like how it works, to be honest. And also, it's too woke. YouTube has problems, but I don't cross the YouTube guideline things. I just don't do shows on that stuff. It's lame that they have those guidelines. Also, COVID's kind of over, so that was a big part of it. Um, not that that was good. I'm just saying, objectively speaking. But I also just kind of don't cross those lines. That's just kind of not what I do. Um, so I'm not really in danger of it. Uh, Rumble's definitely a better platform as far as like freedom of whatever, but it's also a terrible platform to use and it's super slow and people just don't go to it in the mainstream. So you just get a lot less views. Um, you get a lot less audience. I do have videos up there. I upload them. They, they kind of update periodically automatically, but even that doesn't work very well because Rumble's kind of a dumpster fire and it's annoying. Um, so the best way you can support me is by Substack or YouTube memberships. Uh, Substack, if you're one, per, if you're the type of person who won't give any money to a woke corporation, God bless you. Uh, but it's, you know, it's free speech. They don't cancel, blah, blah, blah. Even if you're not going to be someone who reads articles, cause I will be posting premium articles there as well. Even if you're not really into that, that's not your thing. I will be actually narrating those articles as well. So it's kind of like a podcast for you. Also, even if you're not going to be reading them, it's like, I don't know, eight bucks a month or something. It's the same as any Patreon thing. And that's just a way to support me. I'm not a Pope splinter. I don't work for a big Catholic organization. I never will. I never will. When the day comes that I can work for one of these organizations, it will be because there's been a restoration in the church. And again, I'll just be working in a Catholic school, teaching Catholic religion and history to students. And my headmaster will be a priest and a Catholic, and it'll be a happy day. So that's how you can support me. Check out those links in the description for this uh, recording, or if you're watching this on YouTube for this video. As always, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Till next time, God bless you all.